Welcome to the Sixer Hoops podcast for the week ending December 18th. This is Phil Sport providing you everything you need to know about the Sixers and then some in less than 10 minutes. As usual, we open with Stack Geek. After dropping a game to Chicago, the Sixer record is 18 and 8, which is good enough for third place in the Eastern Conference. The Sixers are ranked in the top five teams in the league offensively and defensively. The Sixers are third in the league in average points scored, only behind Indiana and Milwaukee, averaging almost 123 points per game. The surprise, at least to me, is that the Sixers are ranked fifth in the league in defensive efficiency, giving up under 110 points per game. The Sixers' net point ranking, which is points scored versus points given up, is over 12 points per game, which is tops in the league. Also, the Sixers are the sixth best rebounding team in the league. Defensively, they average about the same number of defensive rebounds, but the increase has been on the offensive rebounding side. The Sixers are averaging almost 12 offensive boards per game, and in the past, it would take the Sixers a month to get 12-0 boards. Other notable stats, the Sixers are fourth in fast break points and first in hustle deflections. Now, here's what I consider the biggest stat difference. The Sixers bench has a positive 6.7 net rating, which is the top bench rating in the league. Right now, I take the Sixer bench of Reed, Morris, Oubre, Covington, and Beverly over any bench in the league. Some other noteworthy stats, uh, the Sixers are 12-1 and against teams under 500 this year, which is a sign of a good team in that they take care of business against teams they should handle. I really like the Sixer team. They're fun to watch, and it looks like the players are having fun. This team reminds me of the early process teams with a lot of ball movement and off-ball screening, but obviously this team has a lot more talent, which gets me to my next topic for any of you wannabe GMs out there listening. It's time for Maury's Monopoly Money. Daryl Morey last week signed a three-year extension with ex- uh, that will extend his contract uh, up through 2028. Other than Morey's blind spot regarding Harden and overpaying court miles when no other team in the league wanted him, Morey's done a nice job with roster construction. Assuming Morey doesn't do anything crazy at the trade deadline, right now going into next season, only Embiid, Paul Reed, and Jalen Springer are under contract for a combined $63 million. Maxie will get close to a max deal, so let's assume another $35 to $40 million tied up, which will leave the Sixers with about $90 million next season to sign players. They have Harris, Oubre, Melton, Pat Bev, Batum, Morris, Covington, Bamba, House, and Ferk the Turk. Assuming Harris won't be back. He'll he'll either be moved before the trade deadline or overpaid next season by a different team. I don't think Batum will be back because uh, his wife will want him to sign somewhere back on the West Coast. Ferk the Turk was overpaid by Maury once, and I doubt uh, he'll be back unless it's at the veteran minimum. I'd like Morris, Pat Bev, House, and Covington back, but at team-friendly numbers. Melton is not a starting guard on a championship team. He's a rotation player, but he'll be looking for money. 
Uh, the wild card is Ubre. He's a good fit here, but if Mori wants to bring in another star, Ubre's going to have to be at a manageable number. But he would be my priority. Ubre's not my boardwalk or park place on the Monopoly board, but I'd price him out as either a uh, Fetner or Atlantic Avenue. Now, on the calling Dr. Howard, Dr. Fine, Dr. Howard medical front, the latest injury scare, of course, is Embiid. He now has a tender hamstring. The Embiid worry never ends. Methinks the Sixer fans need a session with Dr. Phil to help settle the nerves. Now, the Nick Nurse coaching front is brought to you by the book Basketball Smarty Pants, Hoops for Everyone. Basketball Smarty Pants was endorsed by former 76er coach Brett Brown and is available on Amazon. Nurse is close to having his rotations down, and it mostly works for me except for one item. Nick, there's absolutely no reason to play Pat Bev with Maxie. Pat Bev should sub for Maxie, but not play with Maxie. I'd rather see House on the court with uh, Maxie than Pat Bev. Pat Bev should get the same minutes Paul Reed gets when Reed subs for Embiid, but that's my opinion. Right now, it's easy to get at least 10 players significant minutes when you're blowing out team after team, but it's going to get tougher the next 10 days after the Chicago loss. You've got Minnesota, Miami, and Orlando on the horizon. Now, the loss against Chicago tells me more about this team than prior wins. When Paul Reed is your third leading scorer in a loss, there's a problem. What happened? Toby, Oubre, Melton? We'll see how deep Nurse goes when the games get tougher. I do like the four-forward, one-guard bench unit. Now, remember what StatGeek pointed out. Right now, the Sixers have the best bench team in the league based off point differential. Now it's time for a little Sixer history lesson. Do any of you Sixer fans out there remember Spoon? Clarence Weatherspoon was drafted uh, with the ninth pick in the 1992 draft, just three days after the Sixers traded away Barkley to Phoenix. The Philly media referred to Weatherspoon as Baby Barkley because he was built just like Barkley, undersized for a power forward, but solid with hops, and uh, he would also give multiple pump fakes under the basket when trying to score underneath. He was a solid player, but by no means a star. The Sixers were worse every year he was on the team, and finally, in 1996, Larry Brown was hired, and his first move was to try to move Weatherspoon to Boston for the immortal Dino Raja. Raja failed his physical, so Spoon and the Sixers were stuck with each other until Spoon was traded to Golden State for a washed-up Joe Smith. Spoon bounced around the league for another five years. Now, Spoon finished his uh, sixer average, uh, his uh, career averaging 14.9 points and 8.2 rebounds, which really wasn't too shabby considering how bad the sixer teams were then. Spoon! Also, last week, George McGinnis passed away. George was a star in the NBA uh, on the Indiana Pacers. George was signed in the uh, mid-70s as the Sixers began their climb back to relevancy. Uh, George passed at 73. 
Now, this week, I combined Around the NBA with Zebra Nation. What I want to bring up is probably something minor to most Hoop fans, but it raises a point about officiating. Dylan Brooks was thrown out of a game against the Bucks for flopping. The NBA added a rule this season that penalizes flopping. The problem is that for the most part, the officials don't know what a flop is. Most of these officials don't have enough playing experience to determine what a legitimate flop is and what isn't. Sure, these refs have a roughing background, but how many of them actually played hoops at some level? The NBA never should have added that rule. Instead, just call nothing. Nothing's more embarrassing for a player than to try to flop their late spread eagle and uh, the offensive player steps over them while scoring. Don't make the official have to make a judgment call. Just don't call an offensive foul unless you're absolutely sure. That's easy peasy. Now, trivia. What player has the worst winning percentage of all time with a minimum of 250 appearances? And here's a big hint. He's an ex-sixer. Email me if you know the answer, and please don't cheat by looking it up. Well, that's it for this week. I can be reached at the Phil Sport Hoops Podcast at gmail.com. Now I'm going to close with a quote. Practice. We're talking about practice, not a game practice. That's a quote from one former Sixer, Allen Iverson. Now let's get to the countdown. 10, 9, 8, 76ers. Game over. Adios, sayonara. See ya.